thank you for spending some time today with me at first day. Uh, please be sure to visit the website at www.firstday.us and uh, subscribe, and you'll be notified anytime a new episode drops. So let's continue on here in James chapter 2. Verses 14 to 17 read, What use is it then, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, then you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Back in chapter 1, James tells Christians that members of the church must be slow to speak and slow to anger. As I mentioned then, perhaps this is an indication that they were not getting along very well with one another. They were facing some serious trials after all. What we see at the beginning uh, in these verses is that the problems within the church, the tensions and the fracturing that's going on within that system may have their origin in more than just that external squeeze that uh, Herod Agrippa and the government and other Jews were doing that indeed there may be some deeper divisions in the church uh, amongst Christ's brothers and sisters that James is addressing here. Remember back in chapter 1, James tells the church to put away all filthiness and what remains of wickedness. He ends this thought by defining what is true and pure and real religion. And what we learned is that James tells the church that we get rid of filthiness and wickedness by visiting the orphans and the widows in their distress and keeping ourselves unstained by the world. That's um, James 1.27. And in this, the results are God's righteousness. So to put it another way, we replace the sinful practices and habits of our past with the righteousness of God. To steal an idea from Yoda, uh, we unlearn what we have learned, or we undo what we once did, which is the sinfulness of the world, by learning about and doing the things of God. Or, as I'm fond of saying, uh, we don't get our ducks in a row and then come to the altar, but we come to the altar in order to get our ducks in a row. James begins this section with a rhetorical question. What use is it if someone says that he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? In other words, is it effective? He who follows this with a he then follows this with a practical example of a brother or sister in need of food and clothing, being told being told to be at peace, but then receiving no help from the church to alleviate their suffering. And so James asks, "What use is that then? 
What use is that faith if this brother or sister is going away hungry and cold, going away hurting? Through this example, James may be telling us the extent of the division in the church. It seems clear that there were those in the church who are refusing to lift a finger, even to help fellow members of the church who are in need. Of course, based on God's command uh, for what His people are to do and what we talked about last episode, uh, I think when James says brothers or sisters, he doesn't necessarily only mean church members, but he also includes in that strangers because we are all brothers and sisters in a way. We are all created in the image of God regardless of who we are. So that's what I kind of think. It's not just church members that they're ignoring. They're ignoring everybody. In the same way, James says, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. The works of which he is speaking are not the works of the law works that are intended to justify the doer uh, before God. But rather, the works he's talking about are deeds that prove or show our faith. They, 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 They prove or show our faith in Jesus Christ. So he's saying that faith is not effective if the faithful have no deeds. If the faith have done nothing to show that they believe in Jesus Christ, then what use is that, he says? Doesn't Jesus himself say in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. No, that's not what he meant, I hear some people say. All you have to do to be saved is believe. Well, if that's true, then James is lying to the church. If that's true, then John 14, 15, Jesus is lying when he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And what are Jesus' commandments? Well, there's producing fruit, there's turning the other cheek, there's giving to anyone who asks, etc., etc., etc. There Jesus goes again meddling. On September 24th uh, here at uh, uh, Northport, I preached about the meaning of atonement in celebration of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And I talked about justification and righteousness, and I covered some of the same ground that needs to be covered here, or is covered here, but in greater detail. So I invite you to visit uh, Northport Methodist Church's Facebook page uh, or the Northport Methodist Church's YouTube channel and and watch the September 24th sermon where I talk about atonement and a lot of what's going on uh, here. So the works of the law were intended to allow a person to be able to say to God, I deserve to be in your presence. I deserve to have a relationship with you. But when James says works, that's not what he's talking about. 
The work that he is demanding is a work that produces God's righteousness that doesn't demonstrate our righteousness, but it produces God's. That's the mark of true religion. In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. The philosopher uh, Philo says uh, the same thing when he writes, For what is it? For what use is it to say what is excellent, but think and do what is most shameful? Now, we call that in today's world hypocrisy. So I guess it's been around for a lot longer than, uh, not a lot longer than the 20th and 21st centuries. Verse 218 of James. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Here at the end of verse 18, it summarizes James quite well when he says, I will show you my faith by my works. Following this, James doubles down on proving that the church has to have works or it has to have deeds of righteousness as the necessary demonstrations of its faith the necessary demonstrations that it believes in Jesus Christ. In verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe also and shudder. Here, at the beginning of this verse, you believe that God is one. Here is the Shema. It is the central belief of Judaism that God is one. It is a declaration that there is but one God, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that that God is sovereign, that that God is the creator, and that God rules over all. Uh, it's, it's stated in Deuteronomy 6.4, as well as many other places in the Old Testament. But what James writes in the second part of the verse is what should be concerning to those who think that there needn't be any sign of their faith, that there needn't be any kind of work whatsoever. He says, The demons also believe and shudder. The demons also believe that God is one, and they shudder. This should be enough, James says, because he follows this in verse number 20 by saying, but are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? James then sets out to use examples of faith being shown through deeds or works uh, that his Jewish audience would have no way of repudiating. And he holds up here Abraham and Rahab as his examples. Uh, verses 21-24. Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his, you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith 
was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, this offering up, uh, this offering up of, of Isaac takes place all throughout uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, verses 9, 10, 12, and then 16 to 18, all discuss it. These examples make it seem clear that there are those in the church who think that deeds are no longer necessary. I have belief in Jesus, that's enough. For these people, belief in Jesus Christ is absolutely enough. This new way of belief could reasonably arise out of an overreaction to what they once were taught, that to have a relationship with God, one must perform the works of the law, uh, the belief that works justify. James, however, uses the story of Abraham's offering of his son to God as a means of debunking this all throughout Genesis chapter 22. So there are apparently people in the church, uh, Jewish Christians, who I think reasonably would, you know what, uh, we're just not going to do any works so that grace may abound or or we're not going to do any work, so it can only be upon belief. You know, it, it, it seems like a reaction, and that, and that seems kind of reasonable to me. In uh, Genesis 22, 6 to 18, God says, 16 to 18, God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice, because you have done this thing. This proves that for James, belief and faith are not the same things. Let me say that again. Belief and faith are not the same things. Belief is not credited as righteousness. Faith is credited as righteousness. Perhaps you can say that these works are deeds of righteousness, like visiting the widows and the orphans in their distress. They transform and elevate belief into something that is different. Belief is shared with the demons. Why? Because they believe, but their belief makes no impact or change in their lives. They, they don't do anything to show that, that, that belief at work. They don't do anything to produce fruit for God's kingdom. They simply believe. 
So it's not belief per se that is credited as reckoned as righteousness. It is faith. It is belief that is in action. Verse uh, James one twenty two. You see that faith was working with his works, that is, with Abraham's works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. In fact, in Genesis 22 that I read, 22 verses 16 to 18, God's covenant with Abraham is reiterated there. Or perhaps a better way to look at it is, it was made even more firm there, following the patriarch's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. This covenant was first made back in Genesis 12, when Abraham was told to leave his family's home for the promised land. Obviously, Abraham, who was then named Abram, believed God. He, he believed God. He packed up his things and, and, he, and he left his father's land to go to the promised land. But that faith is not perfected. James's word now, not Patrick's. This is James's word. That faith is not perfected until Abraham is willing to have skin in the game to give up his son, the child of the promise. James says this is when it was perfected, when he's willing to sacrifice the promise that God gave to him in his son. And it's here that James says that Abraham's faith is credited to him as righteousness. Not in the leaving alone, but also in the willingness to perform the deed, along with all of the other signs of faith that came before this in Abram's, Abraham's story. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God, or had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Belief without righteousness easily wanes. It's the, it's, it's the, so, it's the rocky, shallow soil where it springs up quickly, but there are no roots, and when trials and tribulations come, it easily and quickly fades. I think, isn't that like the first chapter of James? This is why James tells the church that if it wants to endure, it must produce the righteousness of God. On the contrary, a belief that has been perfected in good deeds, uh, it produces something that can endure. Uh, here I'm reminded of the opening chapter of Second Peter. And uh, I invite you to go over there on your own time to 2 Peter 1. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it someday, uh, another day, but, uh, but not now. But that's, simple, that's basically Peter's, but he can also add to our faith these things so that it can become effective and strong and lasting. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 7, Judah is invaded by the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Mayanites. And King Jehoshaphat uh, 
has a prayer to God about the situation. And in that prayer, he speaks to God about the fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham and to all of his descendants. But before that prayer, before he makes that supplication to God, that demonstration of belief in God, there is a period of fasting and reflecting and uh, sackcloth and ashes and, and, and all of that. It's, it's a good deed. It's, it's separating oneself from the world, publicly professing and showing through this act of fasting that uh, you're putting yourself in a position and a place where you can, um, setting yourself away from the old to embrace the new. And so this prayer of Jehoshaphat is seen as as a prayer of faith. And God honors the promise that he made to protect the descendants of Abraham. And, and God honors that. So James goes on in 25, verse 25. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute, was in the same way, excuse me, in the same way was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James ends chapter 2 reminding the church of the actions of Rahab the prostitute in Joshua chapter 2. This foreign woman, uh, one who ends up actually in Jesus' lineage, uh, this foreign woman proves her faith in the Lord, a foreign God to her, by welcoming Joshua's spies into her home and risking herself to protect them. All of this takes place in Joshua 2, 4, and 6, and 15, which I will read to you. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. And so Rahab, this foreign woman, risks herself. She risks her family and her very life to protect uh, Joshua's spies, to protect God's people. So these acts show these deeds show and prove and perfect the belief that we have in Jesus Christ, the belief that we have in God and God's promises. It's not good enough, James says, and our faith and the church's faith will not last if, in its relationship with God, will not last if there is no fruit. So I want to thank you for tuning in to First Day as we look at James's letter to the church. Reach out to me by email if you have any questions and call or text me if you uh, have my phone number. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing you next time. I'm Patrick Cooley and you have been listening to First Day Podcast. Please visit us at www.firstday.us and follow the links to the Facebook page. And blessings to you all. Until next time. Bye for now.